Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. For the last time, I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic Sean Patrick and Jeff Lasseter. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, our handles CriticsPod. You can listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Alexa, all your podcatchers. We're also on YouTube. Subscribe to the show, write and review the show. If there's a notification to let you know that a new episode dropped, click on that. But please go to Apple Podcasts and rate, give us a five-star review. We'll read that review on the air. Uh, what am I forgetting? Patreon. Patreon.com slash CriticsPod. It's the best way to help support the podcast. And then we have our Public link over at IHateCritics.net. Uh, Sean, why don't you tell people where they can get your reviews? Yeah, you can find my stuff on our on our uh, I Hate Critics Facebook page. Uh, I'm posting stuff there all the time. Uh, I didn't get to our usual uh, box office post today because I was dunking on the Golden Globes, but you can see uh, a lot of the stuff, my reviews there on our Facebook page. And Jeff, what do you got going on? Uh, you find my artwork at jefflasseter.com. Um there you can find links to my Etsy, which I just put up something I'm super proud of, which is my new Killer Clowns from Outer Space stickers. I posted them all over and I got like 10 likes. So go there and like it, please. Um, I'm going to be this weekend. I will be at the Massacre in Chicago at the Davis Theater from on Saturday, September 30th, noon till way late. Um, I... I I can't wait because they're showing Black Christmas on the big screen and I it's my favorite movie and I've never seen it there. Um, I will also then on Sunday, if you're in the Quad City area, I will be at the Ridge Bar. They're having their Fall Fest. I will be outside in the parking lot under my tent, I hope, and selling my stuff there. So if you're a local, come and see me. If you're in Chicago, come and see me. Uh, the weekend after that, I will be in Shelbyville, Indiana at the Drive-In Massacre, which is two nights of horror movies on the drive-in screen. Lots of vendors, a lot of fun. I have never been, but I was supposed to go last year, was told I shouldn't have missed it, and saw the photos and saw the, how much fun everybody was having, and I can't wait to do it. Um, got some more stuff coming up in October that I'll talk about uh later but yeah come and see me if you're in chicago or in the quad cities awesome and i opened the show saying that for the last time we're uh we're gonna be doing the everyone's a critic movie review podcast uh do one of you want to explain what's going on uh sure um we are not ending the show however when this show started and when i started listening it was called i hate critics everyone's a critic and I hate critics. And we decided to, a while back to kind of switch it up and, you know, because of the hate and all that, but let's face it, we still hate critics. So we're going back to, I hate critics. So that's where you'll find us going forward. Yeah. I think Sean it said we're bringing the hate back. <laughs> <laughs> it always yeah. where uh, I still get it to this day where I like, uh, yeah, I started, we started this when I was talking to Bob about how you know, I, I always thought my job was cool. Uh, I thought I'd you know, be able to tell people I'm a professional film critic and people will appreciate that. And the most common response is, oh, I hate critics. I never listened to them. <laughs> <laughs> Qu quickly popped that bubble of cool that I thought I had. 
uh, but it's made for a good title for this show, and it's an appropriate title again, just because you know, I think it's X's fault. <laughs> it's X's fault. <laughs> well, it also, I mean, remember we had this discussion a few weeks ago about how influencers versus critics, and how influencers are trying to be taken seriously as far as their critiques of movies and TV shows and things. And you want to be a critic? Fine. I hate critics. <laughs> but yeah, so that's, uh, that's what our name is now. We've got a new logo that should be on your screen. If not, you know, update your app, maybe refresh it and see if it changes for you. Uh, our handle is still going to be critics pod everywhere, but uh, yeah, brand new name or brand new old name uh, but it's very fitting for where we're at at this point in the show <clears throat> <laughs> all right any news you guys want to start with oh the golden globes uh, is out there embarrassing themselves again uh, as they usually do with their you know poor decision making and lack of ethics uh, three of their members have been uh drummed out because they were talking about the Zionists, which, you know, you just love great vetting there, guys. <laughs> I'm sure these guys have been members for years, but, you know, now, now this is a problem. Now that, uh, and of course, they're covering this up uh, by the fact that they've launched two new uh, categories for the Golden Globes uh, this year, which is going to, one they're going to hand out uh, an award to stand-up comics because they want stand-up comics to come to their show. And uh, the other one is the we promise we're giving Barbie award, an award we swear award, or what they're calling their box office award. <laughs> so please watch our show. We will, I swear we will give Barbie an award. We will. Please watch our show is basically what that award is called. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I wonder if, uh, considering how well horror has done this year, especially like The Nun 2, um, which you were talking about box office earlier it beat the expendables yeah and it's like three weeks old there's a new expendables um, <laughs> i've never seen any of the expendables i wasn't about to see this one uh yeah it only brought in eight million dollars over the weekend yeah it's embarrassing <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> yeah the nun two the third week in release the nun two beat the expendables oh. Were you leading into the idea that there might be a horror, like a horror, what, a horror category at the Golden Globes? Well, I mean, if it's box office, I mean, they could say something about the fact that everybody's, you know, go, still going to see horror, even if they're not yeah. seeing other stuff. The box office award is just going to Barbie so they can tell people that they're giving Barbie <laughs> the award. That's I know. Golden Globe sucks. <laughs> well, the box office award is, I mean, ideally it would go to the highest grossing film of the the year <laughs> that's why yeah that's the that's the whole point of the award is to honor the movie that most people want to see but why have nominations it's a, it's basic math <laughs> yeah i wonder who's gonna win uh, it's not like these guys have any ethics i mean you know uh <laughs> they really this, this is not a group that is known to have an ethical approach they're just begging people to watch their television shows what they're doing uh, you know, when, when I lived in West Hollywood, I would walk by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association building and just flip them off because they were so bad. 
go ahead. I want people if you if you really want to have fun with the Golden Globes, just go look up their membership and then try and find anything any one of them has ever written about a movie. Go ahead, because I've done this. I've done it, and you can hardly find these people rarely, if ever, actually write anything about movies. And if they do, it's it's like this puff piece about you know having met you know superstar A at a party B and this is what they were wearing. <laughs> I mean, and these are the people we get we put on television as experts in movies, you know. Well, and the Golden Globes was always the fun one because they were drinking at their tables and you know they'd get up and, I mean, say what you will about what she became, that was where Kirstie Alley won the Golden Globe and got up and said, you know. Hey, Parker Stevenson, thanks for giving me the big one for all these years. Uh, you, you know, like, <laughs> you don't see that at the Oscars. Well, you just see violence. Yeah. <laughs> it really feels like since the 90s, everybody wanted to be the MTV Awards, which is so stupid. Like, let, and, <laughs> and they just keep trying to get more and more liked. Even the Oscars a little bit, but the Golden Globes, Golden Globes even more so. Yeah, but desperately know. facing that young that youth audience that is just not not interested in what you do. Uh, I don't know. Stop chasing it. They're never going. Kids are never going to like you. Well, yeah, and even like when they had Ricky Gervais host, it was just still all he's doing is saying I'm offensive. I mean, he's literally saying that, and then he'll try to say <laughs> something. Here's what I said that was offensive once. <laughs> just like. <clears throat> All right. Anything else on the Golden Globes? You wear any comedian that says I'm edgy. (laughs) (laughs) The real edgy comedians actually don't have to tell you that they're edgy. (laughs) Yeah, they just have to jerk off in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I need to change the battery. Can you guys hold on for a second? Sure. What else do we have going on besides the Golden Globes? Uh, let's see. The uh, well, we were talking briefly about the box office before, and yes, the Expendables four did uh, bomb pretty badly. But really, the entire you know box office landscape was pretty garbage. I mean, we've not seen numbers this low since the late nineties. I mean, it's been this is the one of the most down weekends in in box office history. I mean, the the leading movie. The Nun 2 uh, had $8.4 million uh, ahead of the Expendables at $8.3 million. Uh, Barbie is still in the top five in terms of box office right now because it is that level of bad. Uh, and people just aren't going. People aren't interested. In, and a lot of that has to do, and I know that people, and I'm probably overvaluing talk shows, but honestly, the amount of publicity that a lot of these guys do for their movies, it makes a two to three million dollar difference in box office. It really does. And I think this this period where we've got stars who are on picket lines right now, uh, unable to to promote their movies. I think it it's proving out that you need them to promote these movies. You need them out there telling people, please go see my movie. It's so funny because what do they say it's average $20 million in marketing to get people to go is what they, that you need to put on top of the budget and it brings in an extra two or 3 million. 
<laughs> I mean, I guess that doesn't that includes print and commercials and all that stuff too. Right. But you're right. It is. Uh, I I've been. I don't know what's coming out. I I haven't seen anything this week. Uh, I haven't seen anything in a few weeks now, and I couldn't even tell you what's. Uh, I mean, Soft Ten will be the first movie I know that was coming out that's coming out next week that I've known for a while. But otherwise, it's been bad. Exactly. I mean, the reason behind that is because you're not seeing celebrities everywhere. I mean, these these talk shows, as much as we most people don't actually watch them, you'll catch a clip or oh, something absolutely. that somebody says will permeate you know the culture. Uh, it'll it'll you know it ends up on the morning news the following day. Sylvester Stallone said this while promoting the Expendables, and that goes on Good Morning America from having been on you know Jimmy Kimmel the night before, and that'll you know the they'll end up on Joe Rogan and they'll say something and they'll end up on, you know, various different places promoting these things. And without the movie stars out there putting this out there, you're missing a, a lot of promotion for these movies that would otherwise have permeated the culture and got it even to people who aren't paying close attention to the movies. And when it pulls, like I'm a fairly regular movie goer, uh, when, and I get pulled out of the theater. I'm not even seeing those previews anymore. So I know I have no idea what's coming. It's <laughs> it's bad for what they're doing. And you know, screw them for letting it get this far. I guess did they agree to a writers? Uh, I think the writers have settled. Yeah, they they I think they have one more big vote on it. But it appears that they're they're recommending this deal to their members. So I think the writer strike is pretty much done. Uh, we don't know what's going on with SAG after yet, but. Uh, They've added the video game companies to their strike, so that uh, that's another area <laughs> that's going to have to be solved before this is all done. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been just been seeing all week the all uh, the meme of the poster for your next, and it just underneath it it just says, uh, "Okay, AMTPT or AMTPP, whatever it is." Um, you know, in regards to the SAG after strike. Yeah. So I think we'll see that once that one is over, I think we're going to start. We'll, we probably will see an uptick in the box office. I think it's, it's a combination of people not going on the shows and talking about what's going on and, you know, being all over for a, to promote a movie and the people that don't really know whether they should support it or right. not because of the strikes, you know, like, I don't know what to do. And everybody's like, well, no, you can go see this and go see that. And I think it's a, I think it's a combination of the two. Well, and historically this month, September is never great. Uh, yeah. So there's that too, but yeah, we'll see. Do you guys want to get started on the movies then? Or is there anything else you want to talk sure. about? Uh, yeah, then let's get going. Expendables 4, how good is it? Oh, Expendables 4 is absolute flaming trash. Uh, Expend 4 Bulls is, uh, is the movie. It stars, because they put the 4 instead of the A for some reason. Uh, Expend 4 Bulls uh, stars uh, Sylvester Stallone, uh, sort of, as Barney and uh, Jason Statham back as Christmas. And uh, about part of the way through the first act, Stallone disappears and doesn't come back until the end. <laughs> spoiler alert uh he he just he just like i don't need to be in this anymore i'm i'm sylvester stallone i got better things to do <laughs> he just dips he's out 
uh, Statham is left to carry the movie, and Statham is fine, but this movie is embarrassingly bad. Uh, it's directed by a guy named Scott Waugh, whose talent is not film direction, uh, even though that's his job. Uh, he's not very good at this. Uh, it's to the point where it's just kind of embarrassing to watch. The action is just so chaotic. It uh, it really is monkey with a hammer levels of subtlety. And <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it, it's embarrassing to kind of try to watch and track where his characters are supposed to be as opposed to where the camera is shooting. Uh, it, you can't tell who is who in any given moment. It's like a watching it. It's like a watching a Transformers movie, but with humans. It's bizarre. Um, it's so loud and so dumb. And it gets louder and dumber as they go along, but not in a fun way. Like, there's no way to enjoy this. I felt just embarrassed uh, for everybody in this movie. Even Jason Statham is usually, again, pretty, you know, solid in stuff like this. At the very least, with Jason Statham, you can usually enjoy Jason Statham. And even he seems to be just kind of resigned to let's just get this over with. Let me just, I'll just finish this and we'll be done. And we won't make another one of these. <laughs> like you can just uh, sense the <laughs> defeat in every scene. The special effects in this movie, I swear to God, it looks like somebody cut in pieces from uh, that uh, Wes Anderson animated film, Isle of Dogs <laughs> for the explosions. Like it looks like, it looks like that. It looks like it's cut to an animated sequence. <laughs> to go to the, to the special oh. effects, it's so funny. It not the not the way they intended it to. They don't intend any of it to be funny, but it is very funny to see <laughs> when they go to an explosion and it looks like somebody falls in the water and it looks like one of the dogs from Isle of Dogs just dropping into that claymation water as it splashes up. Oh my god, it's hilarious. That's really the only entertaining thing about this, though. And is I mean I can't imagine though that something that stupid warrants repeat viewings to laugh at. It's kind of a one-off laugh, and then you move on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Did you see yeah. it, Jeff? I've never seen an Expendables Good. movie. I just wanted to make... I thought you didn't say you saw it. So I, I saw If they the... made it with, like, women or gay men, I might see it, but I have no interest in watching Sylvester Stallone make and all those guys... I, don't care. I started watching like the first one, maybe the second, but even back then they were dumb. There was no fun involved. This should have been Freddy versus Jason with all the ex the action stars they had in it. It should have been that kind of <laughs> level of fun, and it just was boring. Uh, it, there was nothing fun about the first one. I can't imagine the second or third were any better, and it sounds mm -hmm. like the fourth is just as bad, if not worse. It, it's worse, actually. It's just even more embarrassing somehow. Because, <laughs> I mean, you can't even get Schwarzenegger to show up for this shit anymore. He's not, like, even he's not coming for this. Uh, he only came for cameos in the previous ones anyway. But, uh, yeah, it, it's sad. It 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 falls into this growing subgenre of, uh, of guys Bob could beat up movies where yeah, like, these, these guys these, can take uh, me. <laughs> these middle-aged these middle-aged guys who continue to try and you know use movie magic to prove that they're the baddest guy on the planet. And it, it just like these boomer dads just projecting themselves onto these old men in movies that they can still beat up the young guys. Also, like, I mean, if you think stormtroopers are bad shots, like the guys in this movie 
I they never they're they never hit a single guy like nobody in the main cast gets hit one time by anything. There's so many bullets and they can't hit him one time. Who is watching these that there's four of them? Because I don't remember any of them being like super successful. Is it just overseas? Probably, yeah. There's uh, yeah. They put they, so, t- they put Tony Ja and the guy from the raid in this one, so yeah, you know, they'll that to sell it overseas. So even if uh, Statham or Stallone's you know appeal has waned over there, they've got those guys in there to prop it up in the Asian markets. It's a so it's a, I de- game. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. <laughs> oh, I was I was just say I did a guy from Hong Kong who loved the Expendables. And that was like the first sign I knew that it was time to break up. But I mean, he's just said that like the, they were so huge back home and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, uh, I don't, I always wanted to go there, but now I kind of don't. <laughs> kind of lowered my opinion now. <laughs> Populous. But, but yeah, I was, it was like, oh, this is the best movie ever. And I'm like, I'm not going to go see it. It's... Oh, you've got to see it. It's so great. I'm like, new. No. Yeah, it's not good. It, it's it's embarrassing, honestly. I feel bad. I like I felt the secondhand embarrassment to everybody in this watching it because they have no idea. They really don't have any idea how bad it is. They're just, you know, they're doing what they can with it. But it's like they really just they're just all just give me my check. Like it is, it is a pyramid scheme. And what it is, I mean, this, <laughs> the company behind the Expendables movies is basically propped up some sort, of, some sort of pyramid scheme where they they're just making money selling the international rights and running for their lives. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, even as a Stallone apologist for years, I couldn't handle these movies. Like these are worse than almost anything he's done, and he's done some bad shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna call my shot. Ten years from now, we're gonna read a book about how somebody uh, created a scheme to to make these move make these movies, and and just they were entirely not real. <laughs> they were like constructed through AI entirely, and then sold to shell corporations over and over again in order to see make it seem like they made a profit. <laughs> It'll be like some kind of producers like scheme, actually. <laughs> I think it's going to go back to Planet Hollywood and some deal they got themselves stuck in they couldn't get out of. And Stallone <laughs> got the worst of it. <laughs> All right. It lives inside. It lives inside. Uh, this one, I'm, I've seen it. I have seen this movie. Um, just after Megan Surrey is the star here is a young woman in high school who has sort of tried to do her best to assimilate to uh, her, you know, mostly white school. And this is meant leaving behind one of her closest friends to Mira, uh, who has become obsessed with this jar that she carries everywhere. Uh, this dirty, gross jar. And this jar is related to the death of another uh, Indian family in their neighborhood that nobody really likes to talk about. Uh, and one day when Tamira is asking Sam, uh, Samita or Sam for some help, uh, she breaks the jar and the jar happens to contain this evil entity. Uh, it's, you know, we, it's, it's an Indian based movie. It's an Indian based uh, legend. 
uh, and it is based on sort of a, a loosely based on a, on a real legend uh, in Indian culture. But uh, it's really not that much different than anything like The Grudge or The Ring. It's got a similar vibe to that. And it's improved, I guess, slightly by the fact that Megan Suri is such a good actress as Sam. She's such a, a compelling presence. I like the push and pull between you know, her wanting to be modern and be an American and, and assimilate herself into the culture of her school. And then there's, of course, the pull from her mom who wants her to be more traditional and respect tradition and to take part in, you know, family stuff. And that that's a legitimate, like, push and pull drama. And I, I appreciate that. And I appreciate that that plays a role in sort of the subtext of the entire movie. That's at least a little bit different than your typical teen horror movie. That said, this movie does adhere to a lot of the tropes. It is highly conventional and it ends in a way that is relatively relatively new but not new enough to make me go oh well this is something special i think it's good enough but uh i don't necessarily think it's going to be one that i stick with for years to come jeff did you see it i did i actually really enjoyed it um everything sean says is true there are a lot of tropes and it does follow that you know that grudge the mystery of what's going on kind of trope, especially from a cultural aspect. But everybody in the movie was just, they brought a new kind of life to it. Um, the fact that it's uh, created by Bishal uh, Dutta and Ashish Mehta uh, and that, you know, they base it in their culture and... <sighs> I want to say this without sounding insensitive, but when I lived in Chicago and Jersey city, there were a lot of Indian families and there was always that one Indian friend who was a little more Americanized than the rest of their family. And I really saw that in this and saw all the things that I recognized from having, you know, the Indian friends that were kind of in the same situation and kind of, you know, I mean, it's kind of universal. You, you always kind of reject your your uh, your upbringing to a certain extent so that you can make your own life. And it's a little more fraught when your uh, your family is from another country or from another culture. Um, and I feel like that that really resonated for me in here. Um you know, Megan Surrey and Betty Gabriel. I love Betty Gabriel. I just think she's she's so good. She has such a good scared face. You know what I mean? Like when she was in Get Out and she's just, you know, that 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 smile. But inside the smile, it just says uh, we're all fucked. Um, she's just so she's she's great in this, too. She's like it does wrap everything up in a way that. At, I was like, oh, okay, this is a little, uh, it's a little, like, put a little bow on it, whatever. But uh, some of the dream sequences were really good. You know, like, there's a couple times where even though you're pretty sure it's a dream, it could be this demon. Um, it, I think it took the tropes and put their own, put its own spin on it, but did it in a way that, it felt familiar, but new, if that makes any sense. It I just really, I really enjoyed it. I thought the setting was great. I thought that the, the cast was great. 
So it, it did the tropes about as well as it can be done. And that's really all you can do. If you're not, if you don't have a more original idea, then your best bet is to just take what's known and do it to the best that you can do it within your story. And I think this movie does do that. Uh, I, I like, I like this movie. I just don't think it's particularly special. I would have liked to have seen something a little bit more special. <laughs> I don't think this movie does enough in terms of, in terms of being as conventional as it is in structure and style um, that, that it, it kind of like, I I've, I've seen too much maybe <laughs> to, to get oh, to. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, hundreds of horror movies, maybe thousands. I don't know. And yeah, it was all familiar, but again, it's these kind of movies. It's the performances that make it a yes or a no for me. And this was a definitely yes. All right. Dumb money. Let's have Sean break the internet again. <laughs> uh, you know, it lives inside is the best movie of the weekend. I'll tell you. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, Dumb mm -hmm. Money uh, stars Paul Dano as uh, Keith Gill, who's a man uh, who made some headlines uh, during the whole GameStop thing. And the GameStop thing was a Wall Street situation where a group of small investors uh, via Reddit came together and started buying GameStop stock, uh, and they essentially discovered this loophole where uh, if they bought up this stock and pushed the value of it up, it would hurt this one particular hedge fund and uh, I would you know have an impact on Wall Street and actually keep GameStop open. Uh, and it worked. Uh, a lot of people, he made a lot of money. Uh, a group of people who followed him uh, made a lot of money. The problem that I have with the movie presentation of this is that this movie feels like a victory lap. It feels like Craig Gillespie, the director, is patting us all on the head and going, good job, everybody. We we beat the we beat Wall Street. I'm like, no, you didn't. <laughs> no, we did not. Not even in the least. Uh, what's the worst that happened to anybody who is a supposed villain in this or is a villain in this movie? Seth Rogen's character. He went from being a billionaire to being a millionaire. And oh, you know where he is now, guys. Do you know where this this character Seth, Seth Rogen plays is now? A billionaire again. He's the He's the co-owner of the Charlotte Hornets. Boy, did we ever get this guy, huh? Man, oh. we got him down a peg. He only owns an NBA team now. But it is the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a good team there. I don't even really know what that means. I don't watch the NBA anymore. <laughs> like, it, this movie is so self-congratulatory. It's so patting itself on the back, and... I had this kind of realization today as I was thinking about it. I'm starting to wonder if I like Craig Gillespie at all. I look over his stuff and I see the way that he portrays poor people. And a lot of his portrayals of, of the lower economic ladder, and granted, the character Keith Gill is not a lower economic ladder guy. He's got a house. He's got a good job. He's got a wife and child. Like, he's fine. But, like, he, he has this thing where much of his his depiction of people who aren't millionaires is just bad haircuts and dated fashion. And that's where it stops. Like that's the whole end of the conversation when it comes to poor people. I look back, I look back on I, Tanya and I kind of see the same thing where it's this condescending approach to, to, uh, you know, I know it's supposed to be dark comedy at the same time. It does feel condescending towards people who are lesser than, and, and I'm sort of a mockery of people who are lesser than. And I get that out of, now kind of everything that he does even Lars and the real girl a movie I really like I can kind of see it there too uh and 
I see it here a lot where the characters in this movie are not well thought of, but they, you know, they're, they're the unwashed masses, the proletariat defeating the, the millionaires. And it's like, you don't get to tell this story. <laughs> this is not your story to tell, Craig, because this, this is not what happened. This is Wall Street trying to fool us all into thinking we actually did something. Uh, the reality was that the, the realistic story of, of GameStop is a couple of kids on Reddit exposed something that now Wall Street can see, and they've closed that window now. Congratulations. That is not an option anymore. You're not going to fool them and take millions of dollars from them ever again. <laughs> so that's that with that. We'll never see this again. Uh, GameStop, I guess, is still open. Is that right? I think so. Yes. But does that really matter? They're still one of the most poorly run companies in the world. <laughs> I watched the movie and it just shows like they don't really know what they're doing. They just kind of got locked in the middle of this whole thing and <laughs> are hanging on by a thread. It's bizarre how this has become sort of this symbol of, uh, of the, the, you know, the, the lower class defeating the upper class. But that just didn't happen. Yeah, it, you're rooting for these guys and you're like, sell, 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 sell. And then, you know, you're like, oh, shit, because uh, you know, it's ha you know, what's coming if you paid any attention to this. Um, and I was really like, I think I don't and it's I'm sure because of her America Ferrara, but I was rooting for Jenny more than anybody else. Um. You know, and I, 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 some of the performances were really effective. Some of them were not. Um, you know, Kate Burton as uh, Keith's mom. She was. She's just always so great. I like her in anything. Um, Pete Davidson just came off like a like a woodchuck on speed. Um, <laughs> is that what he does though? And yeah, well, Pete Davidson. <laughs> you know there. Like Shailene Woodley was given almost nothing to do and she's a good actress. I, she should have, you know, there should have been a little more for her to do. I know that it's not her story. It's Keith's story, but also, also I got to say this before the movie even started, guess what? One of the commercials at the theater was for mm. Robin hood investments. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. Oh boy, boy, are people really not going to go for that after they see this movie? Um, oh, yeah. By the way, can I just say that uh, any movie that gives Elon Musk a victory laugh can go fuck itself pretty hard. He gets, <laughs> he gets a moment in this movie where he gets to you know dunk on the the Robin Hood CEO like like he's the one who turned this whole thing around and got got them to turn their trading back on, and it's like maybe, but he's he, if you're gonna try and say that Elon Musk is a champion of the little man here. I, no, no. I would ask you. I would ask you which side he's going to be on once the you know billionaires versus versus the rest of us war starts. Which side is Elon going to be on? <laughs> well, keep in mind that this all took place three years ago when he was still before he bought Twitter, yeah. and be, when he was still seen as a disruptor. Before all the stuff started to come out about him, you know, basically just robbing and raping companies, and you know, so I. Yeah, that happened, but I wouldn't, I would have, I would have like excised it from the movie because that's not going to make, you know, people <laughs> sympathetic, <laughs> especially uh, with all the Nazis he's running around with these days. Um, 
there was a few little details that really got me. Um, I thought that the family dynamic with Keith's family, you know, the scenes where he was with his brother and his parents was just really, really just well done. And they all seemed cohesive, like mm-hmm. a family to me. Um, and the scene at the end when when Keith is he's testifying on Zoom before Congress and all of the other supporting players are watching him do so. And Marcus, played by Anthony Ramos, is wearing the red headband while he's working his GameStop job. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, like, like, oh, we're all standing together. We're all going to get through this together. Um, I, I, Dane DeHaan, I was unrecognizable until he took his mask off. <laughs> and he was, as someone who has worked retail a lot, he was the, absolutely the spot on portrayal of a of an assistant manager in retail who <laughs> just desperately wants to be the general manager and that you know he lives to be the gm he's just so he was really good in that and then when he took his when he pulls his uh mask down and i realized it was dane dehan and he had braces on and you know like that scummy mask lower face that everybody had for a while i was like oh perfect <laughs> Also, uh, when they, at the end, you know, like, like they always do with these kind of movies where they're going through the real life people versus who played them and whatever. Mm-hmm. Paul Dano looks so much like Vlad Tenev from uh, Robin Hood that he should have played him. <laughs> Sebastian Stan actually looks more like Keith Gill. Then they should have switched roles because he just I know they want, you know, they they got to make Keith look like the everyman, but. And he is, but he he looks so much more like Vlad Tenev in real life. I was just blown away. Uh, it was just it's it's frustrating though. Again, like the movie does have the structure of something where it wants to celebrate this and talk about it like it's a big win, and it's just not. Even the movie has to admit at the end that the big bad of the whole thing, Ken Griffin, uh, didn't get hurt at all. The man went and lied mm-hmm. to Congress, just lied oh, to yeah. Congress. And nothing happened to him. And he's still a billionaire today. Uh, you know, thriving as he as he was before. Uh, the idea that we won anything out of GameStop is such a bullshit proposal that it ruins the entire movie to me. See, I well, think, go ahead. Oh, I was just say if you if you donate enough money to Congress and presidential elections, you're not gonna get charged with anything. <laughs> this is true. Yeah, and even when it was going on, like Democrats weren't like helping out or rooting for the GameStop people either. They're like, "Well, I don't like the way they're going about it." Nobody in in Congress or in AOC did. But... Okay, but that doesn't count. <laughs> yeah. Well, they exposed what they exposed the game, and that's what everybody hated is that you know the American dream is a myth. Pulling yourself up by your bootstrap is literally impossible that's why that's why it was that that phrase started off as a joke because it's impossible to do you can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps because your feet you know whatever um (laughs) so it 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 exposed that the american dream is a joke and that we're all just working for these like 40 to 50 billionaires who congratulations you won you win at life 
go fuck off, you know, go live on an island, go live on billionaire island. Um, but it's, it's towards the end. And I knew, you know, knowing how it worked out or didn't work out, it just was depressing because it's like, oh my God, it's just more, more stuff that is, you know, it's basically showing us that we, the capitalistic society that we live in is only made for the top, top, top people. And, and you're going to get there if you, if you were born into money, you know, um, Gabe Plotkin, when they were telling him how he, you know, his speech that he had to make, and they were saying, don't say Northwestern, it's too elite. Don't say that your father was an executive in a grocery. You know, of course he had, he came from money. So he never had to like really work. Uh, it's, it's, it just exposed all that. And that's why, you know, it's supposed, I mean, to, it's supposed to be a feel good movie, but it's kind of not. I mean, did it expose, I guess it exposed it maybe to a wider audience. I mean, I think, if you've been paying attention, you've always known or you should have always known that Wall Street is just the biggest lie there is. Wall Street exists to keep money where it is, not to disseminate money out. Oh, uh, yeah. the, the notion that that uh, you think you're going to make it big on Wall Street is an absolute joke. I mean, literally, the movie is titled Dumb Money based off of that idea that idiots think that they can become uh, rich on the stock market when the reality is you can't. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's it's the lo the lottery has better odds for you than you than you playing than you playing the stock market because the stock market is built by these people to keep the money where it is. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> and occasionally they'll throw some money at somebody that they want to you know lift up to themselves to, because they you know a celebrity or something that they want to have on their level. But that's about it. That's really the only way it works. Uh, these people have cheated the system to a point where the only option is to just just uh, we've got to end billionaires. I mean, you've got to elect people who are going to say, I will eliminate billionaires. That's the only way this is going to work, guys. I know that people hate hearing that. I know that there are people out there who retch when they, when when they hear me say that. But the, the bottom line is the only way you're going to create equity in this current economy is to end billionaires. There is no they provide no value. They provide no help to the world whatsoever existing as billionaires, and they need to be ended in terms of taxes. I'm not saying kill them. I'm saying take that money, <laughs> divide it up. We need well, to end billionaires as, a, billionaires as a concept need to need to go away. That just shouldn't be a thing. If in a fair and equitable world, it just shouldn't be a thing. And and as long as we're going to allow that to be a thing, we're never going to have an equitable society. Yeah, and I think that people, you know, like I I see this argument and I just try to disengage with people who are like, well, they made their money and they did this and this and this. And I, you know, those are the people that I call temporarily embarrassed millionaires because they think that they're going to be a millionaire. They just need that one break. Yeah. And newsflash, if you're working in an auto plant and you think that you're like, you know, a couple paychecks away from really making it in the stock market, I got another, I got some other stuff to talk to you about because that's not how it's not going to happen we we are made as a company or as a country for corporations to rake in record profits to pay the people who were born rich i mean the the rich are the robots in the matrix and we're the human batteries <laughs> basically <laughs>
you know, and I, I always hear, start your own business. You, you can get rich. You can do this. And I'm like, do you realize how many businesses fail every year? How many, you know, I, I just, and this movie really drove that home for me that it's like, okay, you look at Jenny, who's a nurse who she says, you know, everybody was calling us heroes and everybody was doing this and that. And now, you know, they're, they're just, they don't care. They don't really care. They just want to feel good about themselves by saying, oh my God, you're a hero. That's why people, you know, like a lot of people who say, you know, oh, if somebody says, oh, I was in the military. Oh, thank you for service. You know, oh, you know, and they just like, they revere them, but then they vote for things that'll defund them. And, you know, it's, it's all a big pyramid scheme. I'm getting mad really? as hell and get off, get off my poor lawn. <laughs> You know, what's funny is like Pretty Woman and a movie I hate actually had this the same character as these as Gabe Plotkin. Uh, that is what Richard Gere's mm -hmm. character was. He was a stock trader. Uh, he, he would raid companies, sell off the pieces and make millions off of that. That's what they were trying to do to GameStop. They were trying to buy it up and sell pieces of it and and uh, and make money off of the pieces. Uh, once it failed, that was the plan. And obviously that didn't work because they, you know, because these guys stepped in and did what they did. But we've known this was what they were pump and dump is like a literal thing that we've known for decades. And we just sit back and kind of go, whatever, I guess, you know, Wall Street, it's a mystery. I don't know. That stock stuff's above my head. I don't understand it. I just, you know, these are people you're giving your money to every single day. Like you, you put money in a bank. That bank gives the money to a hedge fund. That hedge fund invests it, loses it. Then you go to your bank the next day. And we're all on this precarious little step, by the way, of one bank giving money to the wrong place and them going, whoops, we lost it. Where'd it mm -hmm. go? Well, we had it, but it's not here anymore. You go to your bank tomorrow and you're like, where's my money? And like, well, <laughs> <laughs> we accidentally gave it all to Bain Capital and they bought KB <laughs> toys and bankrupt yeah that's fun <laughs> happy future everybody <laughs> i hope you're not too i hope you don't feel too bad after this show. i promise you there's a reason to live tomorrow there is <laughs> the love of your family is real <laughs> wait what what's that I love you, Jeff. Uh, thanks, but I have a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Bob, do you want to step in here before I have to get real with Sean? Fine. I invested in all this when it was going on. Yeah? How'd you do? How'd you do? I got hacked by Robin Hood at the very end. I uh, would have made $40,000 instead only made eight <laughs> because oh. somebody hacked into my account and sold everything before I wanted to. And then oh, geez. it went up and then the next day it, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I stopped looking at you get caught, you get caught that. Did what? you get caught in that moment where they shut off? Trading? Uh, no. Uh, I, w I guess I was there, but I, I wasn't affected by that part. I, I think it already been hacked at, that point but yeah somebody got in and hacked my Robinhood account and sold everything and i don't know it was annoying 
And at the time, I mean, hmm. you know, say what you want about Elon Musk. If he says something on Twitter, it would make things move. Those, that Dogecoin thing he was doing, he would just, he made that yeah. jump from, I, I got in on that at like two cents. And at one point it was over 70 some odd cents. Uh, again, all of it, like I said, I got hacked and Robin Hood, the idea of people being able to control their own thing in Wall Street would work if you had if you knew how to go in there and do it but if you have to work through uh a broker or something that's where where it doesn't work and robin hood could have been the perfect place and it totally screwed people over and no one's i don't know the whole thing was stupid i think the wrong guy made this movie uh, i think they came out too soon i think a documentary the documentary is way better than the movie could be i didn't see it but i'm just the trailer didn't look good to me I think Adam McKay could have made this in like two or three years and done a better job. This isn't a dark comedy. This isn't a sure, victory man, lap. Oh, it's absolutely it's, it's interesting more than anything, and it should be told that way. And it should be told to piss you off, kind of like the other movies Adam McKay has done that he's done well with, not Vice, but the ones that he did good. Uh, but <laughs> it is what it is. So. Was Gail any good? You know, you know the, oh, go ahead. Yeah, the uh, the underlying thing that you need to remember too is that this is a movie made by people. You know, they they're made by people who are not going to be able to tell the story the way they want to because where did they get their money for it? <laughs> Wall Street investors gave them money, the studio, to make this movie. Do you think honestly that anybody who made this movie is going to allow you to tell the actual warts and all story and any or anything other than? Hey, you guys won that one. Good job, guys. Now shut the fuck up and never speak to us again. But the, <laughs> the documentary is way better. It pisses you off yeah. more. And it's the, the story <laughs> should piss you off. It shouldn't make it you. Should. Ha- sure. Yeah, some Not of it was a- funny. And yes, people lost millions or whatever. But again, they were billionaires. So who gives, who gives a shit? You know, it didn't really change exactly. their lives. But anyway, Gail, any good? Gale is not very good. Uh, Gale is uh, a a short film uh, based off of the uh, Legend of the Wizard of Oz because it's in the public domain. Uh, and they uh, basically want to tell a story about uh, Dorothy Gale uh, as a uh, a mother who kind of uh, a grandmother who has a grandchild that is going to visit her, wants to know about her past and. I guess Dorothy is now this bitter old woman who, you know, kind of wants to forget about Oz and but portions of Oz are sneaking into the real world. And there's this dream aspect of the real world versus this fictional world that this young girl, uh, Dorothy's granddaughter, is caught up in. Um, It's not very impressive. I'm not sure exactly what they were going for. Uh, The. It's a template, I guess, to try and get a full-length feature film off the ground. But uh, I'm not, again, I just, a horror film should have a perspective of some kind. Like, what is the actual horror supposed to be? And I don't know if they want to make Dorothy the villain now, or if they, or if Dorothy is just a jumping-off point for, for what they want to do uh, in Oz, in terms of that being the horrific aspect, like, a la, you know, Winnie the Pooh, blood and whatever. <laughs> like, I think that's kind of the direction they want to go. Is is that is uh, taking a well known IP and making it horror? 
but uh, I was not impressed by by what I saw. Did you get to see it, Jeff, or was it not available? No, I didn't see it. All right. Have you heard about it? Is anybody is anybody in the horror community buzzing about this at all? Nope, have not. I've heard more about Winnie the Pooh and the like the year before it came out than I did this. You're the only person who's ever said anything to me about it. <laughs> with that or I, yeah or go ahead they, i mean they're showing it i guess at festivals now uh trying to uh, drum up interest in it and uh i don't want to be i hate to be the guy who says that they're they're not worthy of that but at the same time i didn't see anything in this that showed me what their idea is beyond wizard of oz but scary <laughs> All right. Our undisputed classic is The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. Uh, this is one of my all-time favorite movies. And it, and I know that's not saying much. It's like a lot of people's all-time favorite movies. But it's like, for me, as somebody who, you know, one of their all-time favorite films is Midsommar, the idea that Wizard of Oz is one of my all-time favorite movies is <laughs> kind of funny to me. Uh, I'm not, I feel like I'm not supposed to love The Wizard of Oz, and yet I do. Uh, I love the the black and white color transition, the the traditional you know storytelling template of of a young girl, a naive girl on an adventure who forms a team and uh, you know goes on an adventure and <laughs> saves a bunch of people. And I, I, I just it's it's very simple, it's very straightforward, it's a very simple you know good versus evil narrative going on with your evil witch and your good innocent girl. Uh, the the lovely young dog, like all these just wonderful aspects, uh, and then you've got the whole lore on top of that, the Wizard of Oz lore, where you can look at the Wizard of Oz and you can apply any type of meaning to it that you want, and it will reflect that meaning if you want it to. I was reflecting on this. I wrote about it today about how you know people think that Dark Side of the Moon lines up with the Wizard of Oz, and it's true if you want it to be. If you want that in your head, your mind will create the connection to show you that the dark side of the moon and Wizard of Oz connect. At the same time, you can also read like various different meanings into the yellow brick road, each of the individual characters. You, there is an entire Wikipedia page dedicated to political readings of the Wizard of Oz uh, through the character, each individual character or like. Here's what Toto means in a co pro-communist meaning reading of The Wizard of Oz. And it's like a whole dissertation on that. I mean, you could do that because the movie is that simple and so that non-specific in a way that allows you to project yourself or any meaning that you want onto it. And in some way, oddly enough, I think that makes it a brilliant piece of art. I think that makes it uh, a, a wonderful mirror because it seems to reflect whoever is watching the movie and what they want to get out of it. And that, to me, to have made that in 1939, where, you know, meta was not a thing, uh, makes this movie so fascinating and so much richer and deeper than I ever thought it was. That's interesting. I always kind of gave Pink Floyd the credit for it, just having such broad music that could kind of play behind anything. I never really <laughs> thought about it from that. I mean, if you think about it, it's kind of cinematic music that, you mm -hmm. know, it just happens to be some things hit at the same time and... Uh, we I've watched Wally with the wall before, and it it, it can work. <laughs> uh, it's pretty neat, but I I guarantee it's a coincidence. 
but that is a neat. I, I never really oh, yeah, thought absolutely. about it from the other way around. Jeff, get some shot thoughts on the uh, deeper meaning of the of uh, the yellow brick road. <laughs> nah, not that particularly. I do think though that the movie has a has a lot darker uh, than some people. You know, some people just think it's a bunch of songs and whatever, but it does have a little, like, quite a dark side to it. And you know, the it's so different from the book when you get down to it, as far as like the descriptions of the characters and things like that. But you know, the flying monkeys just are evil. They just are so scary when you're a little kid and you know, the wicked witch of the West. I mean, she's just chewing every little bit of scenery that you can get. Um, just the fact that it's some of the darker elements are some of my favorite parts as an adult, whereas a kid, it was the songs and the dancing and the, you know, the broadness of the characters seeing it as an adult i'm just i'm always struck by oh she's gonna just she's gonna kill this girl she's hmm. gonna kill her um i didn't get the significance of poppies until well into my teenage years <laughs> yeah so yeah i mean overall it's it's my favorite the, movie of 1939 it's way <laughs> less racist than uh gone with the wind and I mean, I, as a kid, I remember being excited every time it was on TV, which I don't know if it was yearly mm -hmm. or whatever, but uh, it, you know, getting a kid to watch a movie from that era, even like the 50s and 40s was hard, but for whatever reason, The Wizard of Oz uh, was easy. Uh, now that said, I haven't put it on my kids yet. There, are, But it's so ingrained in pop culture, like they know the lines, they know... It's like a movie you can have not seen, but you've seen it kind of thing. I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it's gotten to that point. It definitely has. It, it, it is a movie that is deeply ingrained. I mean, every, you know, the, if you watch The Simpsons or, or Family Guy or South Park, they've all referenced The Wizard of Oz in some way. It's a touchstone. Uh, and it deserves to be. And, you know, it's funny. I can recall, I know for a fact, and I can't say any specifics, but I have a feeling that when I was like 22 to 28, I was like, fuck the Wizard of Oz. That movie's garbage. Everybody loves that. <laughs> you know, because I was like just such an edgelord. Yeah, you know, like if, if everybody likes it, then it's got to be bad. Uh, and it's like, mm -hmm. I watch it now and I'm like, that guy's a moron. <laughs> the Wizard of Oz is fucking amazing. It's just this incredible work of art and it has so much so much richness and texture and even like the lore of behind the scenes, like, which is very sad, you know, because I want to believe in my mind and my heart. I want to believe that this movie is as good as it is just because Judy Garland was that talented as a child. The reality of the situation is that you can't separate the fact that she was tortured, tortured into delivering this performance, tortured into even being in this movie and was placed under working conditions that would have people arrested. Victor Fleming would be in jail right now for what he did to this young girl on the set of of Wizard of Oz. And him and the him and the you know the the main owner of the studio were just cruel, in inhuman people uh, to a small child. 
Uh, but she still term she still somehow comes out and delivers this radiant performance that is just so iconic and so brilliant for someone of that age under those circumstances to to deliver. It's incredible and kind of sad all at once. Anything else in the Wizard yeah. of Oz before we move on? If you've never seen uh, this, I mean, you're, you you need to see it. It is one of those movies. It it actually, I believe this belongs on the AFI list. I think it belongs high on the AFI list. Is it not, not on there? Not just, I don't know if it is or not. I, I would assume it probably is, but I mean, if it's it's not high enough, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, this movie is one of the rare examples where the entirety of the public got it right, <laughs> where this is indeed a movie that deserves to be venerated as one of the greatest of all time. Uh, usually, you know, we're, we're placing this on, on very mediocre movies that a lot of people can find appealing. This is not a mediocre movie by any stretch. What do you call it? Like country music or U2? Is that what you said in the past? <laughs> I would not call this uh, that, no. Uh, <laughs> no, but the, when the public agrees on something, it's yeah, usually country something music is very definitely, safe. Yeah. It is number six on the AFI Top 100. Okay. Good. That's way, where it belongs. Way too high. <laughs> <laughs> Just about right. The top the top ten are Citizen Kane, Casablanca, The Godfather, Gone with the Wind, Lawrence of Arabia, The Wizard of Oz, The Graduate, On the Waterfront, Schindler's List, and Same in the Rain. Yeah. All right, we can get rid of On the Waterfront, The Graduate, and then we're good. Then we're good. Throw Vertigo in uh, there. I'm, Knock Schindler's List down a little bit. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, Singing in the Rain is good. I don't think it's top 10. I mean, especially when like Sunset Boulevard is number 12. You know, I think that I like that much better. I just, it's, of course, it's subjective. I know this, but. Right. And my list would be, have way darker movies from the 70s and 90s in it. I think Jeff's would be even darker than that. (laughs) Or maybe fun. Well, Star Star Wars would not be number 15. Or on the list at all. Thank you, Bob. We'll have to redo our. We did our AFI list uh, years ago with Josh. We'll have to do a new one at the end of this year with Jeff. Okay, that's a lot of work, but yeah, we can do that. <laughs> Celebrate. The Mine would all be. We'll put out our brand new, uh, our, our brand new, I hate critics AFI list. <laughs> Mine will be all Star Wars and horror movies. Sorry, guys. We should do like our least favorite hundred movies too, so we could. <laughs> so we could, you want to make this extra hard? Yeah. Well, I just want to knock Star Wars down a little further. If, if we're averaging it out and they're really low on my list. <laughs> hey, Sean. Between you and me, Star Wars is number one for both of us. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I'll make it so low that it doesn't even crack our top hundred. I, I like Star Wars. Just a fuck with Bob. I like uh, Star. That's just so pedestrian. Anyway, <laughs> 1993, oh <laughs> Dazed and Confused came out. Dazed and Confused, uh, directed by Richard Linklater and uh, starring a, an incredible cast, uh, starting with, of course, uh, Jeremy London, Matthew McConaughey, uh, Parker Posey, Joey Lord and Adams. I mean, just this incredible group of actors uh, telling a very specific story from a very specific moment in time. 1976 is this very 
uh, it's this unusual year because it falls right in the midst of like the dying down of the embers of the 60s and right before we're going to kick off into the AIDS Reagan trauma uh, twin <laughs> twin traumas of the 80s uh, and there's this just this calm before the storm aspect to 1976 where Dazed and Confused exists and this movie kind of fits in there kind of perfectly. It is not a movie that has a lot of plot, but it has a lot of uh, a lot of resonance in terms of being like a, a, a realist movie. It, it reminded me, watching it this time, 30 years later, I was reminded of the Italian realists of the 50s and 60s who, you know, portrayals of actual you know, life events were more important than telling an actual, you know, story that, that has a recognizable beginning, middle, and end. And that's really kind of Linklater's approach here is not really worrying about having a beginning, middle, or end, but this slice of actual life that feels real and recognizable and and with is populated by people that are real and whom you recognize and relate to. And there's a lot of characters who are very easy to relate to. The movie has been reduced to somewhat of a meme uh, because of Matthew McConaughey, because of his, you know, the way he sort of lives the gimmick. Uh, as this character, uh, Watterson, who, by the way, did you notice, Jeff, in It Lives Inside, they were attending the Watterson High School. That's mm -hmm. uh, And also later on, there's a couple of references just to classic horror movies uh, throughout that one. Which are did nice you, did you see what their what their mascot was? No. The werewolves. Oh, uh, okay. Well, Watterson High School is what it was. Uh, and yeah, that's Watterson, a throwback to, to Watterson werewolves. And the the character Matthew McConaughey played was Wooderson. Uh, anyway, the <laughs> it's it's a I think Days and Confused is one of the more underrated, brilliant movies uh, of the past thirty years. I think this movie is absolutely incredible and doesn't get the the attention or the uh, the kudos it deserves. It's written off as a stoner movie. It's written off as the McConaughey meme movie, and there is so much more to it than that. It is a much more of a of an artistic accomplishment than people give it credit for it. I think people will just want to sort of dismiss Linklater uh, and his work so much that they overlook just what kind of work he's doing here. I mean, I don't think movie fans do that, but I do think you're right. The general public does. I need to go back and watch this because honestly, I'm about to dismiss it. Uh, like the three <laughs> movies that always got compared to each other were like, at least for me was this empire records and mall rats. And I like those two better than this. And I do think this is probably better than those two. Uh, but, uh, I just always grew up liking those movies better. That said, when everybody wants some came out, uh, another link letter movie, very similar to this, a slice of life, just kind of nothing happens. But that was one of my favorite movies that year. And I know if I could go back and watch this again, which I should have for the show, sorry for not doing it, I probably would appreciate it more than my memory. Uh, but I never disliked it. I just, uh, I do feel like most people would, of those three movies I mentioned, Empire Records, Mall Rats, and this, this would usually be the favorite from what, at least that's in my experience with other people. Jeff, what do you so think of him being confused? Um, I think it's one of those movies and it's like, uh, American graffiti was about a certain time in the fifties, right, right before people were going to get shipped off 
you know, to war or to the army or whatever. Uh, this is a very specific 70s movie where it's right before the bicentennial and America was all hopeful. And, you know, look at we've lasted so long and everybody was kind of feeling it, um, you know, and then in the 90s, you have mall rats and it just kind of it. It is one of those cultural touchstone movies that because it's such a specific time, you're you're always going to like have those associations with it, whether you were alive or not. Um, I don't remember much around the bicentennial. I was really small. I just, I do remember a parade and everybody was like, you know, America's so great. America's so wonderful. And then, you know, <laughs> it was kind of more of a reaction to <laughs> Vietnam, I think, than, than actually America was great. Um, yeah, this you know, desperate but uh, we want to celebrate ourselves <laughs> vibe yeah. to it for sure. Well, yeah, it's like a it's a desperate optimism, you know. Yeah, it's it's you know how like in the the fifties are maligned because everybody was, uh, you know, oh, you know, women stayed at home and they were perfect housewives, and that's what kind of where you know the Republican Party is stuck now. They want to go back to that, and that was never a thing. That was just it was fake and you know fake optimism and everything is great but nobody talked about anything and i hear all the time you know oh well we don't you know we're so sick of hearing about all the problems that are in the world well talk about them so that people can handle them you know and that's this movie because it takes place on the last day of school in 1976 it's got that kind of like you know everybody that isn't a senior is looking forward to like, Oh, this is, you know, this is summer. We, we have three months off before school and there's that optimistic time where it's great. And then the, you know, then the last two weeks of summer, you're like, Oh my God, I have to go back. Oh, it's the worst, but it's really reflected in that, you know, and everybody's happy because they just got out of class. They just got out for the summer. Um, you know, Wiley Wiggins is kind of our touchstone character and he's the one who kind of comes into his own throughout the course of the day. So I, I, I enjoyed it. I especially, it's the first time I really, really noticed um, uh, a lot of the cast members and I had already really noticed Parker Posey, but she, just in this movie, she's just so exactly what you think Parker Posey is really like in real life. Oh, she's not, she's not really like that. <laughs> I knew I gotta, yeah that, i i was born in 76 so i don't really i don't have any memories of the of the bicentennial uh to to that of note uh, but i i just love the idea that that this kind of movie i and i know this is going to sound weird i would put this next to texas chainsaw massacre as a movie that defines a moment in in the 1970s like you've got the the definitive end of the hippie era with with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, violently covered in blood coming out of the 60s. It's over here. This is the like post-traumatic syndrome you know, moment where it's like, OK, we've reached a we reached a point where I can, think I can deal with this trauma now. <sighs> Take a breath. <laughs> Let's all get high and and be happy for a minute. And then, of course, Reagan comes in and ruins everything. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, I would give Texas Chainsaw Massacre more credit just because it was like more in real time. It was like happening as that movie was being made. Yeah, I'm just I'm just saying in but terms of uh, in terms of, of being existing in the 1970s, this feels like it it fits as a as a companion oh, for piece. sure as a movie. Yeah, no, I the movie itself, I agree. Yeah, it's launched so many careers. <laughs> Anything else on Days of Confused? Uh, it is the part of the two-part subject of the everyone's or the I Hate Critics 1993 podcast, which will be coming out later this week. Uh, we're talking about uh, this and uh, the Age of Innocence, which Jeff and I talked about uh, last week. Nice. What do you watch? Yeah, I don't remember. Did we talk about boxing, Helena? Uh no. Okay, because we just passed a 30 years on that, and I was listening to another po- uh, another podcast today that was talking about that. You must remember this. And I, that's when I looked it up, and I was like, oh, that would be perfect for you guys. I don't know, maybe we could do it this week. We haven't decided what we're doing for this week's show. Oh, okay. so. Yeah, it was uh, September 5th, so not too far behind. Oh, it doesn't show up on the Wikipedia uh, 1993 movies. Uh, if you look up, uh, look but, it up on IMDb. But you use Wikipedia, right, Sean, to pick your or the numbers you've kind of uh, back generally, and forth. I, mean, I, I've got, I, I made a list of my own based off of that and uh, Box Office Mojo and other other ones, you know. <laughs> We've got a real-time comment on our Facebook page uh, from uh, from a, from a Josh Adams. Uh-oh. Uh oh. I hate critics makes a return question mark. Yes, Josh. Yes, it does. <laughs> wow! And yes. we changed it right before we hit record. <laughs> Josh has always been on top of things. <laughs> he just really misses the show. He does. We come back, Josh. Come home. Be with us. Uh <laughs> anytime we'll have him back. Anytime with us, not replacing you, Jeff. <laughs> I mean <laughs> you gotta do what's best for the show, so uh I've got next week uh, for the love of money with Michael J. Fox, Malice, Cool Runnings, and the Bronx Tale, none of which sound particularly interesting to rewatch, so I might pitch boxing Helena. Yeah, I can't believe Wikipedia doesn't have. I don't know why I'm saying I can't believe Wikipedia doesn't have this right. But yeah, it, <laughs> it does not have them on, that on the list. But when you go to the all the movies and you click on boxing Helena, it's September third was the release in the yep. U.S. Mm-hmm. And it's directed by Jennifer Lynch, mm-hmm. daughter of David Lynch. Oh, I didn't even mention that, uh, David. When we we're talking about Wizard of Oz, there's an entire documentary that's about David Lynch and how his movies are modeled after the Wizard of Oz in in different ways. Uh, they made a, a full length documentary that came out last year. I saw it at Fantastic Fest, and it was really, really good. And it did lay out a case that you know Lynch has spent a lot of his career exploring the themes of the Wizard of Oz via his movies, uh, via the abstract of his own films. And there's uh, really something there. But again, Wizard of Oz is such a, a, a a blank slate in so many ways that it is easy to kind of project right. meaning upon it that you want. Uh, so it, it's understandable that Lynch would find inspiration, you know, and look essentially like looking in a mirror 
Was Lynch part of the documentary? He was a little okay. bit. Uh, he's interviewed. He's done, but he's, it's a lot of it is archival based on things he said. He's said over the years many times Good. how much he loves the Blue of Oz and how it's influenced him. I can definitely see it. All right, so next week we got Saw 10, the creator, Stop Making Sense, and Floor and Sun. Our classic is the Saw franchise, 1993. Sean just said it. Bronx Jail, Cool Runnings, and we'll talk about Boxing Helena. Uh, let's see what time is it, 8.10. You guys want to do a little bit of flick chart? It's been a while, or do you got to get going? Sure. All right. All right. I will share my screen, move all my menus out of the way. <laughs> A Most Wanted Man or Crash, 2004. A Most Wanted Man. Yeah, I don't want to get kicked off the show by saying Crash. Just kidding. <laughs> I don't like Crash. Did you always crash not like crash. crash, or did you have to find out later on that it was crappy? So I saw it, and it was fine. I liked people in it. However, I that was the year that it went up against Brokeback Mountain yeah. for Best Picture. And that movie like changed everything for me as far as movies go. So there's no way that Crash was a better film than Brokeback Mountain. Have you, have you ever gone yeah, back and realized how trashy it is? I know. I never watched it again. I was so pissed. Oh, you'll get even <laughs> but I just, it, Watch it again. You'll get even more pissed. <laughs> it's just it's stuck in my head how how much i hated it because of that so like i would Weirdly rather any- watch actors in blackface and watch crash i think it's more <laughs> racist what crash does than uh actually speaking of which i found soul man at a garage sale a couple weeks ago <laughs> something i've never seen just weirdly, just this week, I, just just we're talking about Crash. I actually bought Cronenberg's uh, Crash off of the Criterion Collection this week. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the real Crash. Yes. The forgotten Crash. Abducted. The Carolina. That's a Lifetime movie. Uh, we don't have yeah. to count that one. <laughs> do we have to do Tomcats? <laughs> I guess not. I mean, I'm the only one who's seen it, probably. So. I think I've seen it. <laughs> The Crazies, Toy Story 3. Uh, Toy Story 3, although I love The Crazies. I think that's a great movie. Yeah, I mean, Toy Story 3 is a better movie, but The Crazies, solid. Crazy. And it takes awesome. place in Iowa, Yeah, where people are crazy. Toy Story 3, it is Blue Velvet, Alvin and the Chipmunks. <laughs> God, it's listening to us. I would like to see that mashup. <laughs> Blue Velvet with the Chipmunks is acting it out. Is is, uh, is Dave Seville? Is he uh, the is he's the Dennis Hopper? <laughs> Blue Velvet is one of those movies where they, you know, when they say, "Okay, you can, you have, to, you're making a movie and you replace the cast with Muppets, but you get to keep one actor. Who would it be? Kyle McLaughlin. <laughs> yes. I want to see Sam the Eagle sucking on oxygen. Oh, God. <laughs> I mean, I guess Blue Velvet. Because Alvin and the Chipmunks is such trash. That's the only reason, though. Yeah. Blue Velvet's one of those movies that 
supposed to be good and then every time you watch it it's just like hard to not even in a good way i don't know you can get over a low bar that's all i'll say friday, <laughs> friday the 13th 2009 don't look up don't look up don't look up absolutely i hate the remake specter secret window secret window yep agreed haunting we will go d3 the mighty ducks um yeah is haunting we will go is that actually a movie i don't know i I was born 13 years later (laughs) my cousin Vinny. d3 the mighty ducks my cousin Vinny. my cousin Vinny. (laughs) agreed the 400 blows galaxy quest the 400 blows Although it was not quite what I expected based on the title, I'm going to go with the 400 blows. <laughs> Boy, was I disappointed as a teenager. <laughs> Brigadoon or the Hunger Games Catching Fire? Hunger Games Catching Fire. Yeah, I've never seen Brigadoon. Neither have I. But I do like Catching Fire. Uh, Airplane 2 or Return to Me? <laughs> airplane 2 yeah airplane 2 sure session 9 roadhouse roadhouse <laughs> no I'm kidding session 9 yeah session 9 I just like for some reason I like saying roadhouse the way Peter Griffin says it on fa- roadhouse <laughs> makes me happy the rainmaker LA confidential Rainmaker is a good movie. It is. Uh, it's it's a very conventional film considering the director, but it's a good movie. But uh, L.A. Confidential. I almost say the Rainmaker, but Kevin Spacey really elevates L.A. Confidential ah! for me. Fuck you. <laughs> you mean you mean Nicholas Cage? Yes, Nicholas Cage. Sorry. See, I was going to say L.A. Confidential is so good. He the fact that Kevin Spacey's in it doesn't ruin it, like it does like American Beauty. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, Midnight Cowboy. Bill and Ted. Oh, Midnight Cowboy. Even though it's got John Voight in it, and he's... I mean, John Voight's bad. Dustin Hoffman's worse. Well, I like Dustin Hoffman, so you can go fuck yourself. I mean, um, yeah, I think I'm still going to go with Midnight Cowboy. (laughs) We had such a bad experience when we went back and watched Midnight Cowboy. I have to go Bill and Ted. I just don't like Bill and Ted all that much. I don't love it, but Midnight, we really, like, I don't know whether Sean just rubbed off on Josh and I so much so, but it was just, I don't know, we came away with it saying it was way overrated, almost almost crash worth, maybe not quite that bad, but it definitely, I remember liking it the first time I saw it, and Sean just took all that positivity away and made me start hating You're welcome. Sean uh, is the thief of joy. Just like a critic. I wasn't I complaining, critics. though. I was with him. <laughs> uh, face Off, Die Hard 2. Face Off. Die Hard 2. The first three Die Hards are great. I'll go Die Hard 2 because I didn't like Face Off. The Life of David Gale, Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes. Absolutely. Without a Paddle, Nosferatu. 
1979. Nosferatu. 1979. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Right. Speaking of Nosferatu, the original is playing at the Davis Theater on October 3rd. Tickets are only like 12 bucks. Well, they have a live organ. So if you're in Chicago, check that out. Doctor Strange, Billy Madison. Doctor Strange. I'm going Billy Madison. <laughs> if it was if it was Multiverse of Madness, we'd have a cha- we'd have, there'd be a challenge for me here. But I like the first Doctor Strange. Yeah. All right, I can be alone. Uh, a streetcar named Desire, Tom and Jerry, and the Hollywood Bowl. Let's not do that. A streetcar named Desire, 1951. Howard the Duck. <laughs> Howard the Duck. No, I'm kidding. Straight Party Desire. Although, Howard the Duck is so bad, it's good. It is. It is. There's an element like of, uh, I've, I've kind of been talking a lot about this on the other show, about the concept of the most acting versus the best acting. <laughs> and you're watching Brando sometimes is like you're watching the most acting. And I yeah. think there's so many so many bros who came up in acting are like, yes, I'm going to be like Brando. I'm going to do the most acting. Uh, and Hollywood rewards this so fucking often. We talked about it with Daniel Day-Lewis on on the other show uh, with uh, trying to explain it to MJ. And I told MJ the story about how he had everybody carrying him around the set of uh, uh, My Left Foot so he could stay in character and and they were just like fuck that guy (laughs) well you know what they always say an ounce of pretension is worth a pound of manure daniel day lewis (laughs) i don't know if i I told the story about dustin hoffman and and lawrence olivier last week i don't remember uh lawrence olivier was working with uh with dustin hoffman on marathon man and dustin hoffman's doing all of his method bullshit and Sir Lawrence Olivier just looks at him and goes, dear boy, why don't you just try acting? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I hate to, I mean, he's not a great actor anymore, but Malcolm McDowell has gone on record to shit all over Daniel Day-Lewis because he's not acting. He's just being the guy, you know, Yeah, acting, you should be able to turn it on and off. I actually didn't like Streetcar because of that. Uh, I don't I- know if... I feel like if I watch it again, I might come around to that idea. Well, when we did it as a classic, we all kind of were disappointed in it. Yeah, that's it's definitely overrated. Definitely. Uh, well, I think it's part partially because like a lot of them played the roles on Broadway and they were just translating a show to a movie. And I got to give Brando a little bit of like leeway on that because, yeah, the, the style at the time. And we talked about this a few years ago with uh Oh, it was a Kirk Douglas movie, Lust for Life, where there's this very big sea change between, you know, stage acting versus movie acting, where people weren't really sure how to translate the two. And a lot of theater directors were coming in and advising actors and directing actors to belt it to the back of the room, just like you did on the Broadway stage. And it took years for people to realize you don't need to do that, that you don't need to, you know, blast everything to the back of the room so the back row can hear it, you know? Uh, that's not necessary in a movie. Uh, and it took it took years for that to settle in. And it wasn't until like the 70s where we started to see movies be movies and and settle into being their own thing as opposed to being just the adaptation of Broadway to the big screen. That's why Jimmy Stewart was so good, though. While that was going on, he somehow existed 
and was more relatable and more in a movie. You know, even in some of the movies mm-hmm. where they are belting, his co-stars are belting into the back of the room. He's still, it, it, without ruining the movie, there's still a chemistry there that he somehow brings it all together. Uh, that is know. that is an exceptional observation. Yes, but absolutely, absolutely. All right, meet the Spartans, employee of the month. <laughs> I'm sorry, we're just getting done talking Fishing about with classic movies, and <laughs> this is how we end the show. <laughs> Uh, I've, you know what? I've never, I honestly have not seen either one of them. Was Dan Cook's girlfriend, or was Dan Cook's wife born when he made that movie? <laughs> uh, she is 24. So yes. Okay. But oh, she was seven. She was seven. Yes. <laughs> oh, that's so gross. And he's talking about employee of the month too. <laughs> <laughs> I saw him campaigning for that on TikTok. I don't even follow him. I don't know how we got on my for you page. Wow. All right. That wow. is our show. Enjoy the new format. Uh we'll start bringing in new segments and just trying to we got a new logo, so check that out. Uh yeah. Thanks for listening and we'll see you all next week. Bye.